Guys, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you didn't draw a hunt this year, don't worry. There are still ways to get a tag and get out in the field. Not only are there leftover and OTC opportunities, but if you join GoHunt.com Insider with promo code JSCOTT by August 31st, 2021, you're also going to be entered to win $1,500 worth of Kuyu gear. You also are going to get 10 entries into GoHunt's Big Summer of Elk giveaway where you could win a 2022 New Mexico elk hunt and $15,000 in hunting gear. Go Hunt Insider is the one platform for finding great hunts, researching new units, e-scouting, and planning your hunt. Now, an added incredible value at no extra cost are desktop maps and maps available on iPhone and Android. Again, this is no extra cost. It's part of being an Insider member. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Sign up at GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card just by using the J. Scott promo code. And also, don't forget, you're going to be entered into a drawing to win $1,500 worth of Kuyu gear. I also want to thank the gear shop at GoHunt.com and Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years, the glassing guru. Don't forget, if you order on GoHunt.com or you call or text Cody at 602-399-3699, you're going to get a 10% discount by using the J. Scott promo code. You can also call the shop directly at 702-847-8747 or email at optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship of this podcast. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for sponsoring this podcast. That is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. You can go to kuiu.com. To order directly off the website. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They make the best hunting gear on the market today. Also, phonescope.com. Use the jscott21 promo code. You're going to get a 10% off on all orders at phonescope.com. Guys, thanks for listening, and let's get right to this episode. Uh, guys, uh, we've got a good turnout here. We've got Kevin Wilkie. He's the marketing director for Kuyu. He's also the stud archer archer of the uh, universe uh he knows everything about bows and um everyone i know sends their bow to kevin so he so he can fix it for him and and i'm um, looking forward to having you on here so i think probably the first thing we should do is have you introduce yourself a little bit talk a little bit about your uh archery background um and your tournament background your 3d um shooting and all the different tournament archery shooting uh experience you have kevin sure yeah i've been shooting a bow my whole life uh started out like a lot of guys do trying to become a better bow hunter i think the first year i bow hunted i missed close to 25 deer in that one season and i learned a lot about spot and stock bow hunting mule deer um wasn't the best shot so i went to work and i learned through competition competing put myself out there and keeping score that I was able to to get the tournament or get the the shooting nerves under my belt or just wear out whatever I had going on that was keeping me from making good shots on animals. I was able to duplicate that in a tournament setting and uh, yeah, I. I had How were you there. when you when you first started in your tournaments? Um, did you start out pretty good or or were you pretty rough and you kind of built into it and got really good over time? Yeah, exactly. I started out pretty rough. The club that I used to shoot in as a kid, like there were no other kids to shoot against. So I was always shooting against the adults. So I just ranked myself against them. Like that's who I was shooting with. That's who I wanted to beat. And um, anyway, yeah, one thing led to another. And I, it's still at the point that I started winning tournaments. I, did, I still didn't think I was that good. Like we're waiting around to hear results and everybody's talking about this kid that just stomped everybody that shot the high score. And I'm looking around like, who's this who's kid? And, and then it was me. Like I was the kid that was winning it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't ever like calling myself a professional archer just because I still always had a full-time job and it's not like I was making enough money doing it just to the nature of the sport. Now there are a handful of guys that are like legit professionals that shoot for a living. Um, but I made a I made a solid run there for a while, and I've got a family with five kids, and I gave it everything I could with the circumstances I had. Like I only wanted to be gone so much, but in the short time that I did hit it really hard, I 
I won, I won a good margin of tournaments and made a lot of podiums. Uh, didn't check everything off my list, but I was pretty deadly out there. Uh, no, competing in archery is, is fun. Like I, I'll be a competitor the rest of my life. Like I see guys get into it and dabble with it and then they get right back out. But it's something that I see myself doing as a lifelong sport. I'll always be a competitor. Um, how are you love- now when, when you go out and compete for someone that used to compete so much when you do compete now less, how are the nerves? How do you shoot? How do you, how do you feel like your body responds? Like I'm still like, I'll use Redding as an example. Redding this spring, it's an outdoor 3d tournament. It's marked distances. It's pretty much a field shoot because you're shooting at orange dots. Um, but the target we start on is you, you, we get the technical long distance shots out of the way first. And I came off the course the first day at three down, which most guys don't get through that course that, that well. Um, but it, I'm just like, I got down to the, I was still on the hunt on the, after the first two days, but on the third day we got at the top of the Canyon and, I feel like I'm making excuses or, or blame or like a carpenter blaming his hammer. <laughs> but, uh, no, like I just, I got caught in the wind and I, I think that was, we got really windy that third day and we were at a part of the course where it was pretty tough and had it not, I don't know if we would have shot that course earlier, I think I might score would have been a lot better, but I'm still right there with the, with the guys. Like I can hang. Um, I have to, I have to really put together three good days of shooting to be on top but i still think i can shoot as good as i ever had but it just seems like a lot more guys have gotten really good like yeah it's just the, the level the, of it, competition has gotten better hasn't it yeah all ships have raised together kind of thing yeah. so yeah um yeah it's it's tough out there it ain't easy like you've got to be able to dedicate like when i when i was doing well and making podiums and making w- world teams like it's a it's a full-time job on top of your other job. Like sure. it, it takes a ton of training, practice, testing. Like it takes it all. Like I can't, it's unrealistic for me with my responsibilities with work and family to, to go out and, and dominate, but I don't care. I have fun shooting. Like I don't have, I love to win, but I don't have to win to have fun. Like, yeah, I enjoy shooting just for the sake of keeping score and match play and, even if I do get it handed to me, you know what? I, I still have fun because I'm shooting. Yeah, competitive. Being competitive. Yep. That's that's. Um, let's dive into some questions here. Sure. Um, do you use a Do you use a back tension release when shooting a compound? So yes, I do. While I'm competing, I shoot a hinge style release. Um, some guys call them a back tension. The term back tension, I think Dave Cousins said it best back in the day. It's kind of a polluted term. Um, it, it means like shooting the release with a surprise and not punching. People will just call that back tension. But the way I shoot a hinge release, I don't use really any back tension. Like I fire it by um, rotating my hand and driving my bow arm into the target. So kind of a push-pull. And I don't squeeze my shoulder blades together. Like I've, I've listened to people teach that. And I think it's crap. Like, I don't know anybody that's good that like really does that. Like all the top guys are that are shooting a hinge release are rotating their hand and getting it close and driving their bow arm into the target. They're, they're drilling it forward. Now I may be wrong. There might be somebody out there that is squeeze that, that they are squeezing their shoulder blades together as like pure back tension, but I, I don't know who they are. But most top guys that I know here. don't. Question here: Is the switch from a regular trigger release to a back tension worth it? What brand? Um. So, Randy Ulmer used to teach a lot that you know practice with a hinge, but then hunt with a trigger and. That, that resonates really well with me. Like, I'll shoot a hinge release all year long, um, but, I'll, but I like to hunt with a trigger. So if, if you're having some anticipation issues and your release is driving the shot and not your aim, like, yeah, it's probably a good idea to pick up a hinge release and learn it. And whether you decide to, to shoot um, a surprise-type shot while you're hunting or, or while you're, 
while you're practicing is entirely up to you. Like there's two, there's two camps right now. You're either, uh, shooting a hinge style release or a button and you're pulling into it and it's kind of taking you a little bit by surprise. You're not commanding the shot. I should say that's a better way of putting it. You're not punching or ambushing or whatever term you want to use. You're not commanding the shot and the other camp, those guys are punching, but if you take those guys that punch that are winning, like Kyle Douglas and Tim Gillingham, those guys know how to shoot a back tension release or a hinge release. They can. They learned how to punch as well as they do by learning to execute a shot, and that's probably comes from shooting a hinge style release. As far as what brand, I'm old school. Like I shoot a Zenith. That's the one I cut my teeth on. Like they're seriously the releases I shoot are twenty something years old. Uh, I, I just like the way they fire. They're very ergonomic. I don't think there's been many that have improved upon them. But there, there are a lot of good brands out there. I'm not going to really tell you Zenith is the way to go because there's some newer ones that have some cool features. I, I would just try a few and, and see which one works well for you. The key is to get somebody that's shot a hinge before to walk you through it your first time doing it. Um, set them up pretty slow. Just get them to where they have a lot of travel in them, and then just keep speeding them up until they fire. Got a question here. How to find an anchor with a wrist release strap? Um, I've, I've never really found it difficult to find a good anchor with a wrist strap release. Like I come straight back and I put the, the knuckle right there underneath, or underneath my ear and against the back of my jawbone. And I'll even tuck my thumb against my neck just as a little placeholder. Like I'm not really, it's not doing it. It's not driving any type of alignment, but it just feels good to have a little bit of tension right there. Some guys go behind the neck and I've, I've, I've heard people teach that that's totally wrong and you should never do that. But I see some guys do, shooting really well that do the behind the neck thing. Um, the one, one thing that I would recommend is it may seem weird is like getting your get a mirror set up in front of you or take some photos and analyze or send it to me or anybody like anybody that's good. Like, Hey, what, what do you think of my form? Like, what could I change here? What, what do you think about my alignment? And you know, the archery community is really cool that way. Like everybody like pick your favorite top shooter that's competing and send them questions. That's what, you know, they're sponsored shooters. That's what they're paid to do. So hit them up, hit them all up. Uh, best way to teach a nine-year-old how to shoot a compound bow. Having five kids and two of them like archery and the other three couldn't care less. <laughs> I've tried every which way to teach them archery. And I think the number one way is just teach them how to have fun with it. Even if they're doing it wrong, don't like, just let them do it wrong. Like let them just have fun. Like my two boys that really love archery. Okay. So the first, my oldest boy, he seems, he likes it. But early on, like, I don't know if he did because I was trying to teach him super proper way and how to be the best and really trying to get him to have perfect form. Um, Taking the fun boy, out of it a little bit, you Yeah, think? totally. I, I did. I did. I, kinda, I probably ruined it for him a little bit. But my youngest boy, um, I let him do it wrong. And I'll make, like, little adjust. Like, I'll see if he's, like, his peep's too low or something. Or I'll just make slight adjustments here and there. To, to drive him into correct form and not necessarily like trying to hammer something home. Now, if he's hitting his str the string on his, on his arm, like I'll, I'll teach him how to hold it correctly, but just let him have fun. Like they're, they're, if they're, so you feel like once they kind of have fun and they they're enjoying it, then you can kind of work your way into getting a little more technical and working some of the kinks out Totally. So you're not necessarily one of these guys that say they have to be perfect to start because you're almost fearful that they won't enjoy it as much. So get them hooked on it where they want to get better. And then once they want to, there's still room unless there's a or some really bad habits, right? Totally. Yep. Yeah, perfect. Like teach them one thing at a time. And once they okay. check that one thing off that they can do it, move to the next thing. Like I see kids getting frustrated and parents getting frustrated when they're trying to teach them five things at a time. And just, just let them have fun and teach one thing at a time. And like, I got a, my circle of friends, we've got three boys that are all within a year of each other. And every Thursday night we go to league and we shoot field archery 
and we go get tacos afterward. Like, it's fun. Like, we, we right. have a good time. And my other buddy that doesn't have kids that are that young anymore, he brings a stack of, of dollar bills, and he's placing bets on them. And, like, it's just fun. Like, my kid looks forward to that every week um, to go shoot archery and get, get street tacos when we're done. So That's great. Got a question here. Off the archery topic, being a marketing major in college, where would a guy start to get into the outdoor marketing scene? Um, before, before we answer that or you answer that, um, you are the marketing director at Kuyu. How did you get to where you're at at Kuyu? And talk a little bit about you, kind of your role at Kuyu and what you do every day. And then, and then we can answer the question. Yeah, sure. So I got my start in the hunting industry when I was about 21. I started working at an archery shop. Um, I was going to school at the time, and I was competing at the time. And I, I was the guy behind the counter at the local archery shop. I was the guru. I was, I was competing. I loved archery. Like anything there was to learn about archery, I did it. And that's what I loved to do. And so I, I forged a career out of archery. And uh, I got to know, you know, the sales, it, working in that role, I got to know who the sales reps were and who I was in connection with the factories. You know, I had friends at all the major brands, like, we were, we were a big shop. We were moving a lot of product and it, I got to know everybody. I'd go to all the trade shows and that led to Hoyt offering me a job. They, they offered me multiple jobs. They wanted me to come work customer service and I'd turn them down. And, uh, anyway, I got on as an engineering tech at Hoyt and that lasted about six months and I started getting kind of bored with it. And then a role opened up in marketing and so I, I dove right into that and I, I did that for 10 years and that That's was fantastic. Hoyt. I was just, yeah, yep. I worked at Hoyt for 10 years, close to 10 years. And then I went to uh, gold tip. Um, they were local to me here in Utah. I'm not from California. I'm from Utah, by the way. And uh, everybody thinks <laughs> you're I'm making a place, distinction, but... <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> people hear that I work for Kuyu, they automatically think I'm from California, but which I'm not like it's, it's cool. Um, at any rate, yeah. So I, I worked there and I, I became friends with Brendan Burns, you know, from my early days at Hoyt, like he was one of the guys I took care of, uh, while I was in at Hoyt and we became good friends. And one day I was complaining about a product description on Kuyu's website. It was about rain gear. And, uh, I was like, man, I, I don't know which rain gear to buy They all sound fantastic. They all sound like they're the best one for everything. Like, which one do I get? And, and I was saying, if I was the one writing your product descriptions, I would have done X, Y, and Z and make a distinction between them. And he's like, you write product descriptions. I'm like, yeah, I did it. At, I did it. Some of it at Hoyt. I've done a little bit with it at uh, Kuyu and, or with gold tip. And anyway, he's like, dude, I had no idea you did that. And, uh, yeah. And six months later I had a job. So good for you. Yeah. Good for you. So this question off the archery topic, being a marketing major in college, where would a guy start into getting into the outdoor marketing scene? You're going to have to my, get a job. My, my thing, <laughs> like you got to bring value and you have to have a background. If you're a marketing major, that's fantastic. But you also, if you want to be in the outdoor space, you have to have prior knowledge and have credibility, I think, in order to be successful at that. Would you agree? Totally. Yeah, I think... I think what I've done in the archery industry is far outweighed anything that I could have done with a degree experience. Good answer. And, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. Got a question I, I here. It, go ahead. Uh, what do you think of Tyler McEnroy shooting the Redding course in one day with four down? You think <sighs> they should move Redding to one day? Oh boy. So, uh, yeah, Tyler McEnroy, he is from Oklahoma he showed up to Reading, um, shooting barebow from the from the compound stakes. I think he was clean that that year. So, actually, Tyler McEnroy is a fictional character. That um, anyway, I'm probably going to ruin it here for whoever said that. <laughs> but <laughs> so it's anyway, a joke. It's an inside joke. Yeah, Tyler McEnroy was a fictional character that. Uh, the guys at Bow Junkie used to come around and they'd ask like who was clean and who was who was doing really well, and I made it up one year that this guy named Tyler McEnroy from from Oklahoma showed up and he was clean shooting fingers and 
they were running around trying to find out who he was and he just, <laughs> he, just he became an icon in the in our circle of competitiveness so that's funny <laughs> before i go any further um i'm here in colorado and and uh we've got just so happened today a dumpster showed up next door and they're demolishing a house so is the is the audio bad or is it okay i mean you hear them demolishing the house right outside i haven't heard anything okay perfect so um next question um does a helical really help with broadhead flight totally yeah um i don't go too crazy but uh i i run a left helical pretty strong i i don't like getting them too broadside because they just become a target for your other arrows like the more broadside you get them you're 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 gonna go through a lot of veins and they're gonna get knocked out but i i don't know i've tried about everything under the sun and to ask me which degree it is like i don't know because i do not have an accurate way of measuring the degrees like that's kind of a confusing thing like would it be an a quarter inch offset over a four inch span like I don't really know. I just make sure I get good vein contact so the glue sticks really well. Um, one thing that I do is I have a lab radar. Uh, it's a Doppler radar. It's basically a chronograph, but I can clock speed all the way out to 100 yards. Um, I'll fletch some straight and some with an offset and some with a hard helical. I'll build up all three of them and put you know, broadheads. I usually just do field tips because I'm just trying to find out which one groups the best. And I'll step back at a long distance and shoot them and, and see, like, I don't want to give up. Like the speed isn't like a, a huge thing. Like I like to monitor how much drag I'm getting. Like with that lab radar, it'll tell me how fast it's going at a hundred yards. And I'm, and I'm not going to like factor that in, but I like to know like how much it is slowing me down or how much drag it is putting into the arrow. Um, anyway, so I, I, I let the target decide. Like, I, I step back at 80 yards, like the longest distance that I can kind of call my shots midair. And I just go with whatever wins, whatever shoots the best. And it's different every time with every setup. So I can't just tell you, um, yeah, you've got to fletch them exactly like I do. That's the way forward. That's the way to do it. It's different for every arrow. It's different for every setup. So you just you got to test it. That's, that's the only way. Um, what bow are you using for hunting this year? So this guy right behind me is a RX five ultra Hoyt. It's, their, it's out of their red works line, 34 inch axle to axle. I'm six one and I shoot a 30 and a half inch draw length, 72 pounds. Um, yeah, it, it's been a great bow. Like I've won some tournaments with it. Did you just I, shoot that antelope with that bow? Yeah, totally. Yeah, just ha I just got back from Nevada. Um, I was in Nevada last weekend hunting antelope, and yeah, it, and I took it to Texas earlier in the year. Like I've I've laid down some critters with this bow, and I really like it. So, anytime I got a bow that I've taken an animal with, or won a tournament with, or just shot something, I don't know. I just really get confident in them, and I don't want to put them down. Like even when the new ones come out, like. I have a hard time putting the proven rig down to pick up the new one. And it usually, I always end up going with a new one just because they're, it kind of puts a spark back into setting up a new bow or puts a fun into it. So, uh, going into my first archery antelope hunt next week, any quick tips, suggestions, learning experiences? Yeah. You just got to make sure you have good cover the whole way from when you're okay. So I'm, ta I'm speaking towards the guy spot and stalking, assuming that's what he's doing. Um, You've got to have good cover. Like, if you don't have good cover, don't even try it. Like, I blew so many stalks this last week just trying, like, de I mean, decoys can work, but the decoy I had just was, was kind of minimalist and not the thing. But just go for high percentage stalks to where you can look and be like, okay, I've got cover from here to there. I can get within 150 yards and I can wait them out. And if they get up and feed towards me, you'll have a shot. Like that's the mindset I was taking. And whenever you're in close and you've got brush between you and the pronghorn as a screen, don't go above them to see where they're at or to range them. Always go to the side. I, I noticed that anytime you go above the brush, dude, they will peck, pick you out just like that. But anytime I could keep, 
like a couple layers of brush between me and I could like go to the side and check on them. I sat on a herd within a hundred. I had the farthest one was 137. The closest was like 120. I sat on them for two hours and they never had a clue I was there. And I just made sure I never exposed myself or show like raise my head above the brush. I always go to the side and antelope can see you even if they're not looking at you. Like on that exact scenario, I had uh, all the does got up and came by me and the buck followed him. I had him come by at 55 yards. I got drawn back on him and I waited till he passed me before I drew. So I was kind of, he was like, almost like full broadside and just going away. And as soon as I got drawn back on him and got settled in, he spotted me. He didn't turn and look. They can spot you without turning their head. So I mean, it's just, it's so tough. Just plan on screwing up a bunch of stocks. And that's what's fun about it. Eventually it'll come together if you stay at it. How many days did it take you to get your buck? So we scouted for two days. I drove the unit from, and I didn't scout it beforehand. So I did a lot of, you know, we we're in farm country, so I was doing a lot of knocking doors, um, asking for permission. And every farmer I talked to gave me permission. They were cool about it. A couple of guys were like, there's no way in hell you're going to get one, but yeah, you can hunt my land. <laughs> and, uh, I ended up killing my buck on, yeah, I didn't kill him on private. I ended up killing him on BLM land. But the cool part about on that pronghorn is you can just do it all day. Like sun up to sundown, you're on them all day long. and that, It's fun. It's such good practice for mule deer hunting too, because like if a pronghorn is like a one out of 10 on difficulty, I would say mule deer are probably like a seven or an eight. Like they're just a little bit next level as far as sneaking up on them. Um, I can't stand to sit water. Like I respect the guys that can, but I'm not that guy. Like I, I would rather spot and stock every one of them and go home empty handed than sit in water for three hours. Like I just can't do it. What what do you think about antelope as far as how tough they are? Um, there's a lot of talk that antelope are not real tough. What are your thoughts? If you get an arrow in their rib cage or anywhere in their cavity, they're going down. Yeah. Like they're not they're not as durable as a mule deer or an elk. Um, so anyway, that that opens up a few things. Like it opens up that you can shoot at them a little bit further. But you, I'm like, I don't want people to take this out of context. Like, I don't want you people, like, just long bombing shots at antelope for no reason if they don't have the, the skill doing it. But what I am saying is that my distance that I'll tap out on a mule deer and what I'll tap out on shooting at a coyote and what I shoot out on a pronghorn are all three different distances. Sure. I'll sure. stretch it a little bit farther on a pronghorn. You have sure. to or you're not going to get one. Right, yeah, just from the distance that they like to stay away from you, for sure, and how sure. open the country is, it's hard to get close. Got a question here, Jay, what's going to be your go-to external elk call this year? Uh, two calls, uh, one, the Trophy Wife by Steve Chapel, and number two, his Heartbreaker, Steve Chapel's Heartbreaker. Uh, both of those calls, I still have some of the old matriarchs of his. I, I believe he makes the best um external read call i like the shallowness of the soundboard how how shallow it is and and it just for me makes the best sounds i uh, got a question here when do you think tournaments will be back to normal i think they're back to normal all season like uh asas have all been going on ibos uh we just held the they just held the olympics like i, I would say everything's back to normal right now except for maybe indoor uh everything outdoors kind of back to normal indoor we're, I guess we'll just wait and stay tuned. I, I hope everything goes back to normal soon. I miss shooting indoors. So, but I, I don't know. There are quite a few, uh, uh, indoor 3ds that happened around my neck of the woods here in Utah and Idaho. Um, I, I would say it was back to normal for the most part. Uh, I've got some Kuyu questions here and guys, whether you, any questions you have, whether they're Kuyu related, archery related, um, any questions for Kevin and I, just put them down here. I've also got some questions that uh, I got earlier from Instagram. So let's go through uh, some of those. Uh, when are more Gila hoodies um, going to be uh, available? When are more Gila hoodies going to be available? So whatever we say on our website is usually very accurate unless we get them in early. Um, 
Yeah, that Gila hoodie like flew off the shelves. Like we we built enough for what we thought to get us through a full year, and we they were gone in like what a week and a half. Like, yeah, it was crazy. It was it was bananas. How many we? I mean, it was just vanished. They evaporated like almost yeah. instantly. But we I are wear working them almost hard. every day. I wear them. Yeah. Yep. Same. Uh, let's see. Um, what is a light but warm glove? Made by Kuya. Um, a light but lo- warm. The we have a few of them. I would say the Guide X is a new one that we just came out with. Um, it has it's built with waterproof fabric, but we don't call it waterproof because the seams aren't taped or sealed like you would on rain gear. Um, so it's waterproof fabric, so it's very water resistant, very wind resistant, and it's fleece lined. Um, they are they're very lightweight and for the just the the water resistance to them and that fleece lining they're pretty warm if you, if you want something with insulation i would go to the yukon pro yeah and all of our and the warmest glove that we have it's one of our lightest is the super down pro glassing glomit those things yeah. weigh absolutely nothing and your hands will never get cold in those but they there there's no utility to them what i mean like it would be awkward to drive an ATV or a, uh, drive anything for that matter, ride a horse in that glove. Like it just, they're so, they're like pillows on your hands. Like they're a mitten. Yeah. They're a mitten. Like they're good for glassing and just keeping warm. So, I mean, we built our brand on ultra lightweight, so they're all going to be as light as you can get them. Um, but I, that guide X is a good one. And also for like early season bow hunting, I just like a, a Merino 210 glove. I do too. Um, that, you know, they keep, the sun off your hands and they uh the, the one thing like w- when i shot that antelope my buddy was down below me glassing up and he's like is you drew back on him like so the antelope was between he and i when i shot and he said the only thing i saw was your hands i was wearing a i wasn't i didn't have on any gloves and i'm like well i'm glad i got him but that was the one thing that stuck out stuck out to him was uh was my hands moving as i drew back he's like that's the only thing i spotted so got that's a question one here. I like that 210. Yeah. Uh, got a question here. What rain gear do you recommend for the desert southwest, mainly sitting and glassing, but also tough enough to withstand hiking in the brush? Um, uh, Katana storm shell, undoubtedly. Yeah. yeah. From a durability standpoint, I think it's uh, Katana's hard to beat. Uh, although with the new Chugach, um, you know, 20% more tear resistant. But I yeah. still, I think the Kutana, I used it all last year in all of my hunts, um, whether it be Colorado, Arizona, uh, northern Mexico. The Kutana is pretty hard to beat. Uh, so let's I, see. In that situation, real quick, I'd maybe do like a, a Kutana pant and the Chugach jacket. Like, there's no rules that you can't run one or the other. Um, I really love the Chugach jacket just because. The, the stretch as an archer, like it's the ultimate bow hunting right here. Like you can draw back and get and not feel like you're wearing anything at all. Like the stretch is amazing. So in that situation, I would take a Katana stretch woven rain pant or excuse me, the Katana storm shell pant and the Chugach TR jacket. We've got some guys screwing here with us at what elevation do elk, do deer turn into elk? <laughs> uh, these are all buddies of yours, I'm sure. They um, are. Any plans to move Kuyu out of California? I don't know. That's way over my head. Like, um, you know, I will add to that. Like, there, a lot of the key players, you know, live in California, and a lot of a, a lot of the key players at Kuyu don't live in California. Like, we have t- three guys in Alaska. Uh, two in Washington, three in Montana, two in Wyoming, two in Utah, uh, one in Texas, or a couple in Texas, I think. We got a couple guys working for us from Texas, um, Illinois, and South Carolina. So we're spread all over. Like, like we're not all confined to California. Like, we're all over. Like, so, I don't know. I'm fine with where uh, it's at for right now. Go to outer top in cool, dry weather. Like you said, that Gila top is a good one. Um, 
on my antelope hunt last week, I wore a Gila top and then I also wore, it was cold some days. Like we got some weather, it was, it was raining and, you know, not cold, but it was, wasn't like typical antelope hunting. And I, I used a Ultramarino 145 hoodie. That's what I really liked that. Yeah. And Gila. Take your pick. We've got four or five fantastic choices. So you've got the Gila. Um, which is great for super hot weather. I think we still have quite a few of the long sleeve crew tees in stock. Any of the Ultramarino 125, Ultramarino 145, uh, Peloton 118. We've got zip tees, crew tees, and it, the Ultra um, Tiburon line as well. That's a very breathable shirt. So right there, you've got five choices that you cannot go wrong with. Got a question. Let's get this out there first. Mechanical or fixed blade broadheads on elk and why? Um, yeah, this one, this will get, this is a story as old as time right here. Like this will get debated forever. Um, me personally. Uh, okay. That my number one thing for hunting any animal is shot placement and accuracy. So right there, mechanical takes the cake. It, they are more accurate. They're more consistent. They're going to give me better shot placement almost every time. Now, if you're now, regardless of what broadhead you shoot, if you shoot them through the heart and the lungs, vital shot, you just punch them perfect. It doesn't matter. You can shoot them with a fixed, mechanical, maybe even a field point. If you hit them good, they are going down quick. I'm not saying you should hunt with a field point, but just to make my point clear, if you hit them good, they're going down quick. Now let's talk about if you screw up and you make a bad shot on them, if you hit them forward in the shoulder, a fixed bladed broadhead will be better every time. Now, if you hit them back in the guts, in the punch, whatever you want to call it, a mechanical is better every time. If you hit them low, a mechanical is better because they, the big swath, like, would you, I mean, can you, like, this is pretty devastating. This is a, this is what I use for deer. Um, this is a two inch Grim Reaper whitetail special. I spray paint them cause I'm weird like that. Um, anyway, like, so of the three of the four directions you can miss from a vital shot, you got forward, back, high or low, and a little bit of combination of everything in between. The only time I think a fixed bladed broadhead is better is if you hit them forward. I will hedge my bet and take three fourths over one fourth. That's why I'm a mechanical guy. And that for, and now, okay, I, I that's for me. I'm shooting 72 pounds, 450 grain air. Um, I will take, take, I'll take the mechanical every time because I have enough energy to push them through. If I'm shooting a light setup, or if somebody's shooting a really light setup, like 40 pounds, yeah, go with a mechanic or go with a fixed head. Um, but man, it's all about shot placement. A uh, question here: What's the difference between a one twenty-five and one forty-five merino? Twenty. <laughs> so, um, Good answer. Yeah. So it's just uh, it's just the the way we measure those is grams per meter squared, and it's just a little bit thicker, a little bit heavier material. Got a question here. So, How is antler growth at the ranch, Jay? Uh, antler growth is very good in uh, southern Colorado. We got incredible uh, monsoonal moisture, got just insane amounts of feed, uh, water and feed everywhere. I'm expecting antler growth to be at 100% maximum capacity, probably one of the best years we've had in a long time. Um, got reports over the last couple of days from Arizona um, bulls are really starting to rub right now. Guys are saying it's average at best and probably below average in Arizona. Um, got some great reports from kind of central and southern Utah on elk uh, that the antler growth is actually very good. Um, good on the uh, Boulder Mountain, good on the Beaver, good on the Dutton. Um, and uh, New Mexico, I'm hearing, is, a, is average. Uh, but definitely not below average uh, there in New Mexico. We lose you, Kevin. You there? Yeah, sorry, my phone started to die, so I plugged in. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I got you good. Okay. Um, 
how long of an anchor for western bow hunting does he use or recommend? I'm not sure how to answer that one. Um, how long yeah. of an anchor? Like, I'm wondering if he's talking about draw length. Like, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I think what he's talking about is draw length. Sorry, did I lose you? I got you again. Okay. My phone jumped into low power mode, and so I got to monitor that. Anyway. Um, Can you plug it in? Yeah, I'm plugged in. I'm good. So, okay. Uh, at any rate, like, I I really don't know how to answer that question. Like, how long of an anchor or of a like, – I, I guess I would need to know more of what he's asking. But I've developed my draw length over the years as uh, just trial and error, finding out what aims the best, what what holds steady for me. Do you and think in general really, people go with too long of a draw length and, and they actually go too long, or do you think they go too short? I think most people go too short because if they're using the wingspan method, if, if, if you walk into a shop and they measure your wingspan and they calculate your draw length, it's wrong, unless you're 28 inches. The longer you get from that formula, exponentially it gets further off, and the same thing when you go shorter. That wingspan method of taking your, your – your wingspan and dividing it by 2.5 is wrong. Like it, it is like, it only works if you're 28. So it's like having your sight scale or your, your sight pins good on one distance, but they're wrong on everything else. Like that's not very accurate. So I would, like I said earlier, you know, check with, um, check your form in the mirror or picture, send it to somebody who knows what they're talking about. And it like a good bow guy can just look at you and be like, look you up and down just like somebody that's fitting you for a suit like i went into a get a suit one time and the guy like looked me up and down and he told me what size i was because he's done it so many times a good bow guy can take one look at you and be like yeah that guy's 30 and three quarter inch draw like here let's try this on so anyway i not to make any shop guys feel bad if they're using that method but i'm just here to tell you it's wrong explain foc in detail it stands for for the overconcerned. It does. It doesn't matter. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail on what FOC is because it, it's not that important. Like, as long as you've got some tip weight out there, like, like that is just one of the things that really bugs me. That that that's information out there. They like you've got to have twenty percent or you got to have this percent. Like, it's such a broad range that you can have. Like, I. I don't know, dude. I, I just, I've never worried that much about it. I've tested it, and it doesn't seem to matter as far as accuracy goes. So I think if you're really worried about it, if you're in that 12% range, you're plenty. 10 to 12. Okay, so the let's use the Olympics as an example. Um, these are people that have trained their whole life for to win a, a chance at an Olympic gold medal. These people have tested everything under the sun. Now I get, I, I usually don't like to make comparisons between recurve and compound archery, um, but this is the one correlation where I would say they're pretty close to the same. Long distance shooting an arrow, and most of the people shooting in the Olympics had eight to nine percent FOC. Um, if I go, why to do you, why do you think it became such a big deal? Why why did it get where everyone it, was talking about it? It's it, it stems from traditional archers now let me tell you traditional archers never go to compound guys for arrow advice they don't like when was the last time you saw you heard of a, a traditional guy going to a compound guy asking him how he should build his arrows but, but for some reason you've got all these compound guys going to trad guys asking him for arrow build advice it makes zero sense to me like i it is it's bananas i think like i'll go to any 3d top level and and like it was i'll even like we were, I was at a shoot in Idaho um, over the summer, and it was the top bale or the top two targets that they they peer ranked everybody. So all the best shooters were right at the top, and I cracked the joke. I'm like, all right, everybody, who's shooting 20% FOC here? And like everybody started laughing. Like ah, nobody does that crap. Like the the best shooters out of two states, like not a single like out of 15, 20 guys, not a single one of us was shooting a high FOC setup. Now. If, you're, if your sole purpose in bow hunting is to get penetration, okay, yeah, you might want to go do that. But I think I've already 
for me, accuracy and shot placement are number one. Penetration secondary. Like, I just, I don't worry about FOC. As long as you got a good amount of tip weight on there. Now, I'm not saying don't ever try, like, different weights to see what group's the best. Like, you might find a sweet spot. But I, I don't think it's, it's wise to, like, think you have to have a certain FOC or you're not going to be successful. Favorite down jacket that packs really well? Um, I'd say Super Down Pro. Yeah, like it's, got, it's pretty hard to be. It weighs as much as two t-shirts. It, it like maybe even less than that. Like I think a couple of t-shirts weighs less than. Uh, I'd have to weigh them now. But anyway, it's so lightweight and they're so warm. Like you can't get cold in one. Um. If my broadhead is shooting six inches left at six yards, but my field points are stacking, is it tuning? Um, so what I would tell or what I would say about that is um, your, your arrow combination is good. So you've got, you know, it, it's grouping, even though it's out of tune. If you're, getting, if you're missing, he's missing right. Um, six inches left. His broadhead is shooting okay. six six inches left at six yards, but my field points are stacking. Is it tuning? Okay. So if he, if you're missing left with a broadhead, that means you're getting a right tear through paper. Um, so he'd need to click his rest um, in just a little bit, and I think he'd pull him into line. So the fact that they're grouping is good. That means he's getting good clearance. Um, his form's good. Everything. Like, you can still group well with a bow that's not tuned if if the arrows are right for the bow. So I would say keep keep your setup, click your rest in um, a little bit closer to the riser, adjust it inward, and try it again and see if it gets any better. But that's just a simple rest adjustment. Uh, walk me through your last 10 seconds of a mule deer stock. So in other words, what's Shock. going through your... <laughs> What's going through your brain? Don't miss. Yeah, don't screw this up. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't screw this up. Um, so I'm watching their head, and I'm looking for my opportunity to draw. Like that is, soon as I've got, I can give myself a green light to draw back on them. Hopefully, their head's behind a bush, um, or they're looking away. Like I hate it when they catch me drawing back. Like I've had more of them bust than I care to remember. So that's the first thing I'm looking for. And then after that, when I've decided, okay, I can draw, everything rolls right into my normal shot process. I visualize, I picture where my pins are going to be on his body and where they need to, where my sight needs to be lined up when the shot breaks. Like that's the first thing I picture in my mind as I visualize. And then my next target is, is alignment. As I come to full draw, I want everything in alignment. I want everything to feel good. like. And it's a feeling that I'm looking for. It's not really a visual, like, yeah, I'm checking my bubble and everything, but, like, I'm looking for that feeling of just good alignment where everything is just in its place. And sometimes, like, you can't, you're in an awkward position, so that's why you've got to practice those tough shots. So even if you are a little bit awkward, you can still check that box that I'm in alignment. And then my next thing is drive it home. And I do that by applying... You know, I put my finger on the trigger pretty quick, and I drive my bow arm forward. I'm kind of pushing and pulling. you got to build that tension in, in your shot because you can't, like, when's the easiest time to cut a rope? When it's loose or when it's tight? Tight. It's easier to cut a rope when it's tight. So I build tension. I'm driving, and that, and that kind of, like, soaks up your nerves a little bit. As you're driving that pin forward and, and building tension on the back end, like a good steady expansion, of strength, like even when you're nervous, because you will be nervous when those 10 seconds before you shoot at a buck, you can still drive that pin into the into the vitals of where you want to do it. And then, and then you're going to execute. And you can do that a couple different ways. You can step on the gas, which that's, it. that's what I usually do. Like once I've built up the tension and my finger's on the trigger and I know my pin's lined up, I touch it off. Like I'll command the shot. Like I know my pin's there, and I know as soon as I pull the trigger, it's there. Um, I've gotten fancy before and done it, you know, the back tension style. I don't like it as much on, on taking an animal. I like to be in control. I'm driving that shot home, and I'll touch it. I'll step on the gas when the shot's lined up, and I am not afraid to do it, and it works. 
And I'm not going to say every time, but it works most of the time. And then got a question. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, shooting 70 to 100 yards, I sometimes group high. I can't identify knocking point uh, snag. Um, sights front and rear also concentric. What else to look for as far as troubleshooting? So he's grouping high at 70 to 100 yards. Well, I, I would probably say, depending on how he's driving or getting his sight scales, um, or how he's sighting in, like for me, I, I would just sight in for it. Like, or I would adjust, you might have your fletching configuration wrong in Archer's Advantage. Like if you're using a software program to print your sight scales, or if he's using just the pre-printed ones, I usually throw those in the garbage because they're they're rarely ever correct. It's just a pre-printed scale you put on your site and pray that it's correct. Like you might be close, but I, I think I would take that a next step further and, and leverage Archer's Advantage software and build a uh, basically a curve, a trajectory curve for my bow in my arrow setup specifically. Um, that would be an indicator, or zero is side at 70. If he's running a, a slider, make sure his, his needle is zeroed at 70. Because sometimes if you zero your needle at like a 20-yard shot, um, there's, a, there's a broader range there at 70. Like you might be hitting a half inch high, but that might mean two, three inches high at 70. So set your needle for your longer distances. Okay, single pin or multi-pin for hunting, specifically elk. I like um, five pins. I like to see the trajectory of my arrow. I don't want to have to move anything. Like most of the time in a hunting hunting situation, I'll use probably seven out of 10 times. I will just use my 20 through 60 and just gap. I just, you know, when I get older um, and my vision and, I, and shooting fixed pins doesn't quite work anymore, I'll go to a one pin. But for now, all my eyes are good and I can shoot fixed pins just fine, I'll, I'll do that every time. And I like fixed pins because it shows you the trajectory of your arrow. Your 20-yard your pin will always be pretty close to the top arc. Now, let's say you got a, a bolt coming in, and you're under some pine, and you're kind of tucked below him, and he stops at 50 yards, and you're going to take the shot. And you've got, under, and you've got overhanging branches at 20 yards in front of you, if you draw back and all, of, and your 20-yard pin is on those branches, you're going to hit them. But if your 20 is under them, you're going to miss them. So I like having that those five pins to gauge the arc of my arrow just for obstacles that you're going to encounter while hunting. And it's just one less thing that you have to do. Um, that's my take. And I run my bottom pin as everything. I started it. My, my bottom pin will rope all the way up to 12 yards and down to 120 yards. Question, um, explain the difference between a punch and command the shot. I would say they're the same thing. Like when, uh, like when I punch the trigger or when I command the shot, is I'm, you know, I'm coming into full draw and I'm building tension with my bow arm and my release hand, and my finger's already applied tension to the trigger. Like it's, it's on the edge of a knife, and all I got to do is, is finish it off, like, they're one and the same in my mind. And I think if you talk to other archers, um, they're either a puncher or they're not. So command shooting is, is kind of a punching in a dress. <laughs> or in a skirt. It's kind of churched up a little bit. Uh, best all-around fleece from Kuyu. Got several weights of Merino and Kutana softshell for layering around. Best, so best all-around fleece. Is what he's asking. But um, the thing is, like, it's, go ahead. some of the some of the product is fleece lined. I, I think he means just like a lightweight type mid layer. I think is what he's asking because there's really not a Kuyu doesn't make a full fleece product. Yeah. Right. Um, well, our strong fleece line, uh, you've got a tight knit outer with right. a high loft inner fleece. Um, those are, they, they fit a little tight in the sleeve, 
so you're not going to layer over much over them. Um, they're they're really low profile in the sleeve, which is good for bow hunting. I um, find myself wearing the two ten mostly. I really like the two ten strong fleece. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I use one of those as well a lot for um, like early mornings, like cool morning. Just you need something more than a t shirt. Yeah, I'll throw a two ten on. Um, yeah, that that would be my pick. Would be the strong anything out of the strong fleece series. Yeah. Super quiet, but, water resistance, with all the the warmth and lightweight benefits you get from a from an ordinary fleece. But explain, you know, when I was saying they don't make a fleece, I think when most people think of fleece, they think fleece throughout the whole thing. So the outer port is going to get caught with all kinds of brush and snagged yeah. up. This has a face on it that actually is has a level of durability or a level of like where everything's not going to stick to it right like sure. normal fleece old school fleece you would think about yeah and I, I think the closest thing we have to like that old school I, I wouldn't call it old school but just a traditional fleece would be the, it's like 97. the 97 yeah yeah and the 200 is also the peloton 200 and the peloton 97 um those have been around for i think we we launched those in like 2016 2017 um we that's a very popular piece they fit really well really quiet what the strong fleece has over the the peloton fleece line would be durability with that tighter knit face fabric uh is the pro pant too warm for october coups in eastern arizona i don't necessarily think it's too warm um i'm not a huge fan of knee pads and the pro pant has a knee pad I would encourage you to look at the Kutana pant. I feel like Kutana for coos deer hunting is a phenomenal pant, really lightweight but super durable. Um, that's what I wear mostly when I'm scouting for desert bighorn or for coos deer. Um, so I would I would strongly look at the um, at the Kutana. Your thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, I, I mean you've you've hunted down there more than I have, so definitely um, for that you know brushy you know desert like that katana is unbeatable like i've i've worn the same pant and in a, a trip i went to texas and then i wore the same pant the whole time hunting pronghorn which is probably similar terrain and not a single picked thread uh they just they wear like iron but they're so lightweight and comfortable they're i mean they're i can't believe how durable they are for how light they are yeah for sure Got a question here. Does the moisture in Arizona matter to a hunter that would be happy with a five by five or better, or is it water levels mainly important to those looking for three thirty inch bulls? Yeah, I would say drought conditions are mainly um, a priority for those people that are looking for say three twenty, three thirty or better bulls. When you're when you're you know just trying to look at a bull you know three twenty and under, I don't think. Um, drought conditions are as much of a factor as maybe someone that's looking for a trophy bull. I've uh, got uh, Kutana is a top notch. Uh, I wear mine everywhere. I agree. It's a great product. Um, Kevin, uh, we've had a great hour here um, going live on Instagram and I appreciate all your expertise. I want to give you a chance um, if you have any final thoughts here. Um, on this Q&A and I wanted to keep this to about an hour to be respectful of your time just any final thoughts here all good I just really appreciate everybody out there um, for tuning in and sending in questions even my buddies that send funny ones in or try to <laughs> no, I'm, what, was, what was the guy's name McElroy or something Tyler McElroy he, Tim he Cup. had a Facebook I, I can't remember he had a Facebook. it was so long ago but <laughs> He might, he uh, might make a comeback. We're going to hear about that one. I, I can promise you from that. But uh, I really appreciate your uh, time. And um, congrats yeah. with all the success you've had uh, in your personal shooting and, and uh, as well as with your family. I know you're a great family man. And um, you do a great job at Kuyu. Um, I know when Thanks. I read this stuff, I can, I can directly look at it and know that you've had a hand in it. So um, I appreciate all the great work you do with Kuyu there. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. We'll have to do this again. I appreciate your time. Thanks, yeah. uh, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, this was our second uh, Instagram Live. I think we had a good turnout. I'm also going to put this out on my podcast, the audio, and then you can catch, uh, if you miss this, you can watch the uh, IGTV feed 
probably in a couple hours, uh, it'll be ready to go. So, guys, thanks. Uh, Kevin, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Take care. See ya. Guys, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to send me a direct message, you can do so on my Instagram account, which is at jscottoutdoors. You can also send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I appreciate all the feedback on the podcast, and I look forward to hearing from you. GoHunt.com Insider has filtering 2.0 where you can get draw odds, strategy articles, specie and unit breakdowns, and unbelievable gear giveaways. Did you know that they actually have a point system where you get 11% back to the consumer for using points for every dollar spent? Also, a new addition is the mapping, Go Hunt Maps. You have the desktop version, you have the mobile version for iOS and for Android users. There's never been a greater value for the Go Hunt Insider. Check them out at gohunt.com forward slash jscott.